Is that sounds how really weird. Army promotes people cool points. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of like uh, Super Mario Brother coins. Gotcha. Um, you know. <laughs> yeah. Level up, got a mushroom. Yeah. So. But at the same time, you have to get to know that veteran. Every veteran is different, um, and they bring unique skills and they bring unique. And they're worth yeah. getting to know because of the benefits they're going to bring. <clears throat> Alrighty, welcome to another Tavern Talks. I'm joined here by uh, my co-lead, Jacqueline Keeney, and I myself, Travis Featherstone. Just us two today. Uh, the other two uh, dropped off, couldn't make it for some reason. Actually, well, we know why. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> we know why, but we're going to pretend it's a mystery. Yeah. Uh, either way, so today we've got actually, uh, we've been going through the leadership team um, and And, and we have into... the most special guest here today <laughs> that we are going to interview. This is... The man, the myth, the legend. I feel like you've our already fearless, used that. No, our fearless leader, the man we all look up to. <laughs> figuratively. Not, not trying to figure out who uh, who you're talking about, but um, yeah. So I've been I've been avoiding uh, the discussion about myself. We've been having discussions about everybody else and, and going through the leadership team, uh, really giving everyone a sense of you know well, who's on the team and who are they. Oh, I know that they're a co-lead, or I know that they're part of the EVETS team. Um, however, I, I, other than knowing maybe their you know, position professionally, they don't really know anything about us. So I've actually been avoiding doing mine uh, and avoiding this talk because I just don't talk about myself. Um, that's just a, a normal trait, I guess. And <laughs> Jackie has stepped up and said, you know what, it's time for your interview, for your discussion about you. So I will... Uh, defer, and I'm in the hot seat, and I'll let her run, uh, you know, with limitations, the questions about... Uh, with limitations. Yeah, well, we're just going to go ahead and kick this <laughs> off. Don't worry. We'll, we'll come around to Evets at one point. So for our listeners, you know, some of you have maybe thought, all right, we're doing a podcast. This is really new age technology. Why? How? When? And something that I really think we need to know is, Travis, this was your idea, this podcast. So give us an insight to how this came to mind and how this is kind of your baby project that we have taken to where it is now. Uh, well, I'll, you know, I can't lie and say, oh, well, I came up with the podcast, you know. Uh, <laughs> but interestingly, I, I do like podcasts. I do like, you know... Audible is probably one of my favorite Christmas gifts. Um, and, you know, through the years, especially with everything that happened in 2020, with COVID, hey, you're not allowed to talk to anybody. you got to stay 36 feet from everybody. You know, it really put my, you know, you know, myself into this, like, reflection of, you know, how do I continue to interact with the world and learn through the world? News was not the best outlet. Media, you know, was just uh, you know, definitely not social media. Uh, but at the same time, podcasts were an interesting way for me to pick and choose different topics, different 
you know, points of view, different ideas and things like that. I recalled, you know, back in the day, you know, even in 2019, some of the feedback that we got from, you know, workers out in the plant, veterans out in the plant, veterans, you know, at other sites, you know, talking about, oh, well, you guys are always on your own schedule. You know, B1 runs on its own, you know. King Sports, the center of the world. You know, you forget about all this other stuff. You forget that if you send me an email, well, I only get on email, you know, every seven days. Or I'm on swing shift or I'm on night shift. I would love to come to your event. Sounded like a really cool speaker, but I couldn't make it because my boss is just not going to let me, like, leave the controls in the control room and go listen to a speaker. Podcasts offer an interesting bridge between that. And one of the unique ways that we could kind of circumvent the system almost was to make sure that the the podcast and we could make sure that the media um, reached everybody and reached them on a public platform, right? Hey, access it with your own personal cell phone. You can do it on a smart TV. You can do it on your own personal computer. And so that was an interesting way that I thought, I don't know if the, the audiences and the veterans and even some of the senior veterans out there uh, that have, have been in the company many, many years, if podcasts are their thing, uh, but it, it offers an interesting way to listen to people, listen to our leaders, listen to some of the topics, real topics and, and you know, discussions that we might have more so, I guess you would say, kind of behind closed doors. Um, it's not a town hall. It's not a, this is a, an approved, you know, message for publicly traded companies. This is genuine, candid conversations, maybe loosely, sometimes edited, but mostly not. No, <laughs> kind of m- mostly it's just, uh, you know, might blur out a couple of curse words on our audio yeah. or take what, out a train. That's but... what I think podcasts are. Yeah, I think I podcasts agree. are fun and people listen to them because it's real laughter, real conversation, real poking, real banter, real discussion. And it's I agree. As, scripted. As we've edited some of these podcasts and we've heard, I mean, there have been times that we'll go off on a tangent making fun of somebody or something yeah. and then somebody like, all right, back to the, back to the ground. Yeah. But that's how we talk normally. I yeah. mean, there's nothing scripted about these interviews except for maybe like, hey, we're just going to generically go over this topic and yeah. let's see what comes up in conversation. Yeah. So that was really the, the focus, and I thought that'd be a cool way of doing it. And listening to some of the podcasts out there, they range from good quality, bad quality. Uh, they range from short five minutes to, you know, six hours. So I felt like there might be a happy medium somewhere in between, right? And it doesn't take a lot of startup money mm-hmm. uh, to kind of kick them off. They're mobile. Again, we're doing these in, in random different spots all over the place. I think that makes it unique, kind of niche, and I think that it would draw folks that aren't just keen sports centric to being and listening to. Well, what are the you know what is Evets really about? I like it. I like it. So you know we've gotten to know each other pretty well over the past couple of years, and something that I find the most absolute interesting about you is your family. I mean, the first time you talked to me about, you know, your brother, your sister, Mm -hmm. and this just diverse family, I was awestruck. I mean, I have it in my notebook. I wrote everything down. I was like, (laughs) God, he's even cooler than I thought. And it it was just, 
It's cooler than you thought. Okay. Yeah, man, <laughs> man, my family's boring. So for our listeners, kind of, kind of explain your family dynamic because it's, it's so unique. It is very unique, and it's it's interesting how normal it is to me, um, especially in this day and age when, you know, there's a lot of discussions around, uh, I and D inclusion, diversity, and, you know. You know, just kind of bottom line, you know, I, I was born in the Philippines. Um, I was adopted at the age of one, came over to the States. Both my parents are Caucasian. Uh, my sister was adopted. She's three years older than me. She's blonde hair, blue eyed from California. And then my brother was also adopted, and he's three years younger than me, and he's from Seoul, Korea. So we literally have this model UN you know, family that, that has walked around, you know, in grocery stores and all this kind of stuff. So, so growing up in a very unique and, and diverse family um, has, you know, always had its kind of challenges, but they weren't really made apparent to me until I was older and I was an adult and I started to, you know, understand, you know, the environment and uh, the socioeconomic times uh, that we're going through. Um, but it also gives me a perspective, too, on, you know, different levels of privilege. Um, but it's just, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to be, you know, at the same school and, and in college with your brother that's, you know, a whole foot taller than you. Um, and, you know, he does not look anything like you. And people are like, you're not brothers. You know, you might have a weird last name. Featherstone's not, you know, a common last name, but... You know, he's a 6'2 Korean, and you're a short Filipino. And I think <laughs> so. that's kind of, you know, a lot of people think family is everybody has to look the same. Yeah, or, you know, you've got right? the common denominator. And growing up in what is truly a blended family, I think really helped shape your military career. Because the thing that's really great about the military is they become your family. No mm-hmm. matter what they look like, what color their skin, hair, eyes, yeah. anything is they become family and you grew up in that environment. You didn't have yeah. to adapt to that when you went through any of your training. I mean, I don't, I don't know if West Point counts as training, but <laughs> you know, it, it, it was natural to you from the very beginning. Yeah. So yeah. were you raised in a military family? Absolutely. And so, you know, both grandfathers served. One was a merchant Marine. Uh, one was a Marine. Uh, both of my uh, my uncle and my father served as uh, infantry officers in the, the U.S. Army, um, but they got out pretty quickly after their their five year active duty commitment. Did some reserve time, um, and I think my uncle stayed in a little bit longer than my father did. But um, absolutely. So when, once you're in the military, that's kind of a, a tough one to pull back out of you. Um, you know, so I grew up in, in a very military, uh, militaristic family, discipline, Saturday morning inspections, um, all of those kind of funny things. Hospital corners yes, on the bed, shoes corners, lined up. Um, all of that stuff, right? All the cereal had to be alphabetical, you know, and by height, uh, from left to right in the pantry. Were your clothes in the closet, like <laughs> short sleeves, long sleeves, and then color spectrum? Uh, depends on the summer uniform or the fall oh, uniform. Okay. gotcha. gotcha. Uh, <laughs> Winter coats were hidden until it was time. Yes. Um, but interesting, so, uh, you know, like some parents, like, they will, they'll do certain activities or certain scholastic programs, 
you know, you know, for their, their children to, you know, either have different opportunities or get ahead in, in life or whatever you want to call it. I don't think that my parents did this by any means, but adopting a, a child that's blonde here, blue eyed from California, adopting a child from Korea, adopting one from the Philippines, we had this different, you know, complexity and, and uh, dynamic of learning, you know, together as a family. Um, what they also did, which I don't think was planned, but we moved every two years through Procter & Gamble. And because of that, and I grew up, you know, in Atlanta, Georgia. I grew up uh, doing the Houston Rodeo, you know, outside of Houston, surfing in California, you know, corn things in Indiana. Corn things. Yeah, I mean, there was more corn and deer than there was people in the, in the place we lived. Um, Ohio, oh, I'm trying to think all the other places. But, I mean, it was, you know, it was dynamic. And so, like you mentioned, that... that added capabilities to when I went into the military. Um, I could relate to people pretty quickly that, you know, went to a Baptist church in Georgia or, you know, surfed or things like that. It made you um, highly adaptable. It, it did, you know, but at the same time, you know, when we think about, like, adaptip, you know, being adaptable in a work environment and adaptable in the military, uh, like, one of the things that I, I constantly go back to this kind of thought process is... The military develops people. People is their outcome, their product, all of that sort of stuff. So being adaptable to understanding and recognizing the people that you work with and how to get their best capabilities, you know, bring their best every single day, uh, you know, it made it a little bit easier. Um, I could connect with people. I could build relationships. I felt, you know, with people very, very quickly. Um, and I wasn't just... Oh well, this is our new officer, you know, and oh, know. and he's academy grad, he, so well, he's not going to know anything. He's not going to be well, able so to. So I didn't lead actually us. tell anybody. There was oh. a there was a there was a couple units that didn't even know. Um, you know, they just thought I was a second lieutenant, and the reason why I had good advice from my grandfather. My grandfather said, "You know what? Doesn't none of that stuff matters. When you graduate, you're going to be a second lieutenant, and they're all going to look at you the exact same." It doesn't matter if you're first in your class or last in your class or your second lieutenant. All they're going to care about is how you treat them, um, how you lead them, and what you demonstrate starting day one. Um, and there's not that much, you know, to build credibility if you're a second lieutenant and you're just joining a new unit. Really, it's, it's do you show up physically fit? Do you show up, you know, with some basic, you know, rifle marksmanship? Um, and at least for, for me back in the day, and I don't know how much of this has changed, um, but the culture in the infantry uh, when I came in as a second lieutenant was, if you're not a ranger, you, you, you're already losing some cool points. Um, and so it sounds really weird. Army promotes people cool points? Um, yeah, it, it's kind of like uh, Super Mario Brother coins. Gotcha. Um, you know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Level up, got a mushroom. Yeah, so, so that's, you know, it, it gives me a little bit of, of context. And, and, you know, and I'm not the only, like, weird, you know, person that came out of my family like this. My sister's still in the military. She's a um, an officer, a logistics officer in the reserves. My brother's still hanging on to the active duty. Um, you know, bless his heart. He just got, you know, relocated to Hawaii, and he's having such a rough time. Um, he had to quarantine for like four weeks out there, and so they had to stay at the Hilton, uh -huh. you know, and not do anything but the ocean. 
<laughs> so I don't know how his his career trajectory, you know, as an infantry officer, somehow landing in Hawaii um, and being part of PACOM is is very unique. But. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting position. You yeah. know, I'm not going there. So <laughs> tell us a little bit. I mean, you know, I kind of joked you went to West Point. Then what happened? Where did you go? Where was your training? What rank did you get to? How long were you in? Give me a military snapshot. Hmm. Okay. Uh, military snapshot. I mean, it's pretty quick and simple. You know, I I, I didn't do an elaborate career um, like many of, you know, the, even the, the folks on our leadership team that we know of that did 10 plus years, um, all of that sort of stuff. Um, I served just over five and a half active duty. Uh, when I first got out of uh, school and was commissioned as a second lieutenant, um, we had to go through a basic officer leader course. Um, so they brought everyone down to Fort Benning, Georgia. I forgot how long it was. I can't remember, you know, even the quality or the context of it. It was just something, it was one of those check the blocks before you get to go into your real thing. And I don't know how others felt about that. Um, as an infantry person, you know, we just wanted to get to the, the good stuff. We wanted to get to um, our infantry basic, you know, officer course. We wanted to get to ranger school, and then we wanted to get out to um, our unit. Um, so for me, that was, you know, ranger school, uh, which was, uh, you know, again, it wasn't, you know, the greatest. I learned a lot about myself, a lot about leadership there. Um, I don't know if it was planned perfectly, you know, but I, I went through Winter Ranger, and I am Filipino, so below 80 in the Philippines, they break out sweatshirts. Um, and this was Fort Benning, Georgia, January 3rd, report date, no hair. It was snowing there. It, it hadn't snowed in like six years at Fort Benning, Georgia. Um, and so that was that was uh, an interesting and, and, and fun challenge. Uh, ended up, you know, going to my first unit. Um, and ended up uh, deploying out to Afghanistan. Um, it was a, it was a good time. It was a trying time. Um, of course, I would, I would say like anyone's probably their first deployment. I was extremely excited, uh, but I got thrown into different positions that challenged um, not just you know the the typical leadership that I had had direct leadership um, as a platoon leader and things like that, but uh, more so from a strategic standpoint. Uh, working with a host, you know, a host nation, uh, working with the Afghan army, being able to set up uh, capabilities within their teams, uh, like, you know, like talk operations and stuff like that, which nobody really volunteers for. It's a voluntold kind of <laughs> aspect. Uh, so, you know, did that, came back, uh, had a few other different roles. Then I realized, uh, you know, I... I wanted to transition out. That was kind of the historical norm. The family had kind of done that. You transition out, and one of the first things you look at is manufacturing. Uh, so I transitioned out, went to, into manufacturing, and, and that's actually really where a lot of my, you know, I would say curiosity and education uh, of leadership really hit a wall. Um, not from the standpoint of, you know, running into these obstacles of not being able to understand it, but it was more so all I had known after college was almost an authoritarian leadership, right? Um, it, 
was, you know, uh, how high, you know, when I say jump, you say how high, you know, and you do it, not because it makes sense, but because I'm the officer. Um, now, I didn't lead that way, but that was generally the tone and the culture of the military. And that may have been how you were led in some circumstances. Yeah, in some circumstances. I was actually pretty fortunate. I mean, I had the, you know, the of course, the occasional sprinkles of, of poor leadership, um, which I think is funny and is a, a misnomer of, of military. Um, everyone holds the military in such high regard and high esteems, and, you know, they produce leaders, right? But, you know, they're not, a, you know excused by any means to having the flip side of the coin and examples or sprinkles of a poor leadership. Yeah. And uh, so just for our listeners who maybe haven't experienced the military leadership, something mm-hmm. I try to talk about is how linear it is. I mean, it it goes straight up. So can oh, you yeah. talk about how I know in in my role I had my office manager, I had and if I went to the office manager and she needed help. She went to our PA officer. If the PA officer needed help, they went to the first sergeant. And the first sergeant would go to the vice commander. And there was there was no, okay, well, we need to go to this person. Or you get orders or direction of what your job should be from anybody but directly above you. And so how, how was that showcase for you in the military compared to these manufacturing roles? Well, so it's, it is a little bit different because I came in through the officer side. You're very familiar with the enlisted side um, and, again, different levels of chain of command. Um, As an officer, when you come in commissioned, uh, you're very young. You may or may not have had any military experience before because there are some officers that go through officer candidate school um, or even the academies as prior service uh, enlisted soldiers. And, And you're given an enormous amount of you know, responsibility right off the bat. So 22, 23 years old, I was in charge of 50 soldiers. The way it worked for my structure was uh, was very linear. I reported to a company commander, um, and he reported to a battalion commander and, and reported to a, a brigade commander. Um, and, and what that means is that commander is in charge of a little bit bigger organization every step up. Uh, so, you know, there would be, you know, four platoons in a company, four or five platoons, or four or five companies in a battalion, uh, you know, four battalions of a brigade, something like that. And, of course, not all of them are the exact same, depending on the roles, uh, you know, the different branches, engineering, aviation, uh, medical, all of that sort of stuff. It, it varies in how those are structured. One of the, the main differences in coming out of that linear structure in the military um, and, and what I've been bred and what I've been, you know, basically, you know, hardwired in um, is you don't really ever jump that chain of command. You always go through the next person to make them aware. And if they can solve the problem for you, great. If they can't solve it, then they go to the next um, the next level up. So it is difficult when you're transitioning to the military, uh, you know, from the military to a civilian company in some aspects, uh, depending on how that company is structured um, and how they're, they're set up. You know, and that was one of the things that even I struggled with when I first came out of the military. It was like, hey, I, you know, I, I want to recognize your position and I'm not going to jump your position and go talk to a vice president prior to seeing if you as a director or someone can, can help out in terms of 
providing resources, solving the problem, or fixing whatever is going on. And I think that you have to get to know the culture of the organization to understand what's tolerated, what's not tolerated, um, how to go about that. For me, being completely blunt has been very, you know, have been helpful. Just say, hey, I don't jump the chain, you know. And if you want to know why I haven't come to talk to you, um, it's because there's a boss in between, you know, you and me. And, and I'm going to let them try to solve it ahead of time. That's why you probably don't hear about me at all, ever. Um, so that, that's definitely been a, an obstacle and it's been interesting to kind of walk through and, and understand how organizations, you know, function that way. Yeah, because with matrix organizations, sometimes you get directives or direction for your job from somebody who's not in that chain. Yeah. They're kind of a dotted line. Yeah. It's like, do I, do I need to check with my direct manager or director over this? Do I? Yeah. And you eventually get used to, okay, this falls within the scope of my job. Yeah. Unless it's out of the scope, I don't, I don't need to go up. Or you don't have that clarity. It's very frustrating. Yes. Right? I'm sure you've been there too, where, you know, that uncertainty and let, let me step back, too, because I think there's a bias when people think, oh, well, you're military. You took a very vague mission on the top of a mountain and you executed, and you were able to adapt and move and, and, and still accomplish everything. There was clarity in the mission, right? And I think sometimes one of the misnomers is we run into these uncertainty things, and I don't know who to go to or what's appropriate or what's not appropriate. And I think that can get really frustrating for a veteran. Um, it's something that I think supervisors and managers have to be aware of and be thinking about. Um, but at the same time, you have to get to know that veteran. Every veteran is different. Um, and they bring unique skills and they bring unique and perspectives. And they're worth yeah. getting to know because of the benefits they're going to bring. Yeah. It's a little extra work on you, but yeah. the benefits outweigh the cost here. But I don't, you know, have you ever been in a, a, a unit where the commander wanted to know everything? You want to know how many left turns you take or not. And then maybe you've been in a, the opposite, right, a, an organization where the commander and the first sergeant really didn't care. As long as you got things done with your squad leader and there was no problems on weekends and things like that, it was just kind of like, all right, you know, we trust you, you're professionals, you're, you're getting stuff done. Yeah, as, as an enlisted for me, I had one officer who needed to know every single thing yeah. everybody in the shop was doing. Yeah. I mean... They wanted a breakdown of your time spent every wow, day. It, it was insane. And then I had another officer that was like, all right, here's what I need from you every month. Whether or not you do it the first three hours of the day yeah. and you spend the rest of the day scrolling Facebook, I don't care. Just get it done. And if you have an issue, let me know. I don't scrolling Facebook. Thing. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, we were guard. Come okay. on now. <laughs> but, but you're right. And, and I think that that's an interesting lesson, too, because... That, those examples don't just happen in the military, and they don't just happen in the civilian world either. And I think that's where we, we get an opportunity to challenge, you know, good and, I wouldn't call it bad leadership, but, you know, good and bad styles, you know, because someone may like that, you know, that structure where I need to know every time. You know, that actually offers the subordinates very clear clarity and discipline and expectations whereas some people man you're like man i'm just being micromanaged here um, and then the flip side there are you know employees that maybe need that discipline and they're like how come my boss just doesn't really seem to care yeah. and, and and it's not a lack of caring 
it's a, a lack of, I, well, I, I think it's a, it's a bridge between the misconceptions of trust. Yeah, and we've talked so, about it before. It's, it's up to the leader to meet each employee where they're at. Yeah. Or each. Well, clarify, too. Yeah, and, and understand some people may need to be, I don't want to say micromanaged because that has a really negative connotation, yeah. but someone may need you to stay on them so they meet and exceed their expectations. Mm-hmm. Other people, you may say, here's your scope, go have it, and then they come back maybe, you know, for me, I did video. Maybe mm-hmm. we went, I know, we went to Hawaii one time for a TDY, temporary <laughs> deployment. Well, what? I know. And we came, with, we came with our civil, civil engineering squadron. And my, my mission was it's to produce three broadcast videos over the course of two and a half weeks yeah. because in some people's minds that should take you two and a half weeks. Well, I was going to school for that. I knew what I was doing. I knocked out yeah. three broadcasts yeah, in four quickly. days. Okay. And so I ended up producing five, and then I had nothing to do. <laughs> oh, so but you were in Hawaii. So but that's awful. you're right. I was in Hawaii. But as somebody who doesn't do well micromanaged, yeah. I was just like, you know what? I'm here at the Civil Engineering Squadron. I'm going to learn how to roof a house. I'm going to learn how to tile floors. I'm going to learn how to run right. electricity. And so I ended up getting my hands dirty with them. And oh, if I had been be under... Fun. A micromanagement that might not have happened, yeah. but that's how my leader met me where I was, yeah. and it was a success. Yeah. Yeah. And I, again, I think you know if you're if you're an ally out there, you know challenge the the veteran on how they how they bring their best to the team every day, and then as a veteran, be very clear. Even if you're leading up uh, to your boss, and again, you know the the end of year, the mid year. You know, just normal coaching, you know, opportunities offer, I think, a good time frame and perspective to be able to say, hey, this is working for me, this isn't working for me. And I, I hope, but I believe that with everything that's happened in the last year, people are much more open to talking about things that are actually happening in their lives, right? So everyone got challenged. Hey, close up shop, take your monitor and your mouse home. You're now working, you know, from home. Tell me what you need. And, and, and the array of answers coming back was everything from child care to, you know, dry erase boards to, you know, any, this kind of access, teams, all of that kind of stuff. And so I, I feel like people have increased their capability and, be, and strengths in being able to tell what they need. Um, and this is kind of, a, I think, the same thing. Yeah. So... You know, we only got a little bit of time left, and in conversations with you, you've talked before about how you go through leadership training, and it kind of teaches you the basics of leadership or what to do in this scenario, Mm -hmm. but civilian and military leadership training don't prepare you for all the personal sides. So can you talk a little bit about experiences you've had where you've had to, there there wasn't a playbook, there wasn't a chapter somewhere where you could go, okay... This soldier is having financial difficulties. Here's what I do, yeah. or whatever. We go to it was. chapter seven, and yeah, you know, can you follow steps A through Z, and I'm good. Tell me about a time you had to write your own chapter in leadership. Um, let me think. I know I caught you off guard with this one. Well, I, I think I mean you you did and didn't, but at the same time, right? Like like leadership's a learning exercise. Leaders are, are constantly failing and adjusting and, and moving, and, you know, as we call it in the, in the Army, you know, shoot and move, shoot and move, you know. And so, you know, when I think of leadership, I think of it's an evolution. It's an everyday learning process. It's an education 
that you're studying for and you're adjusting and you're you're learning every single day, every week. Uh, no matter your organization is an individual contributor, uh, one direct report, or you know, it, at some point in time, I had over 250, you know, that were directly reporting to me. When I step back and I think about how I prepared myself to be quote, a leader uh, or an officer in the military, I thought of everything that I, I, I named earlier: physical fitness. I, you know, I trained and was ruthless when it came to how I showed up to my first unit. That was going to be one of the perceptions that they would have immediately. Uh, the second was marksmanship. The third was ranger school. Those were all within my control. What was not in my control is, I think, really where leaders step up. And if you can, you know, just as I'm talking, think about some of those leaders in, in your past, too, that, you know, in your mind you think, oh, man, they went above and beyond. Or, but did they really or were they just holistic? And we've talked about this a couple times uh, with some of the other guests of uh, being a holistic leader. Uh, the number one story that comes to mind is my first platoon that I took over. I took over as a rifle platoon leader, um, and this was a unit that had just recently come back from Iraq, was about halfway through a turnaround cycle of getting ready to, to leave, and I was, you know, kind of coined uh, the platoon leader of what was called the cartel. And the cartel got its name because there were so many soldiers that were stop-lost. And for those that don't know what that means, it, it, it was a, a Department of Defense policy that came out around about the surge time frame. So you're looking at 2004, 2006, kind of the tail end of 2007, 2008. Essentially, if your obligation in your contract with the military, whatever service it was, uh, was about to be over, and the military, you know, essentially threw up the quotations and said, we need you, please stay. They had the ability and the governance to be able to stop the loss of that person from leaving the military. So I had a whole host of soldiers that, right before they were about to deploy to Iraq, they were on that list to get out of the military. So they should have transitioned to a different unit where they were transitioning out and they could get all their medical and mental health and everything cleared to, to finish out their obligation that they had signed up for and then reintegrate back into the civilian world. The Army deemed them too valuable and said, no, you're not. We need you to actually deploy to Iraq. So where their contract was going to end in three years, they had to do four. They had to you know, do another year in Iraq. And they were like, what? I don't agree with this, I don't like this. And so when they got back, there were very few legal and limited options that they had to successfully break that contract with the military and the Department of Defense. And one of those is, is you know, coming up positive on a, a drug, a random drug screen. So whenever these things occurred, when I took over the, the platoon, we had all these soldiers that just wanted out. They had done their time. They signed up for three years. The military had taken four of their time and had deployed them an extra, um, you know, 12-month deployment to Iraq. So they kind of had this bad taste in their mouth. They were like, all right, I'm going to use some form of illegal substance in order to come positive, you know, show up positive on this 
random test, and that's how the military is going to get me out of here. Now, there's a lot of bad logic in that, and there's a lot of bad decisions, but it absolutely blindsided me as to, Travis, you're now the leader of, of this unit, but you also have to counsel these guys through this process because they have you know, demonstrated that they're positive on a random drug screening. We are now moving through legal channels to get them out of the military, and there's all kinds of those ramifications, whether you, you call it, you know, other than honorable or dishonorable or however, you know, they were going to go out. So I had, I had months of, of counseling these, these soldiers, young soldiers that by no fault of their own, you know, were kind of pushed into a corner, made a bad decision just to get out of the military. But I had to speak on their behalf, you know, attest to their character, their, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So that first unit really tested me in all the other things outside of being a military leader. And I, I, I feel that, you know, that's not something that's that you don't get at other companies or in the civilian world, because we all have those those leaders. We all know that person in the back of our mind that, oh man, I worked for this person at Coca-Cola or whatever, and they were a very holistic leader. You know, they ask about family, they ask about all these kinds of things, and they really genuinely want to get to know you and your development. That was the job in the military. And whether you you liked it or not, you took that on. Even an enlisted soldier, when you're promoted to a, a squad leader, your staff sergeant or a team leader. An NCO you, of some yeah, sort. You yeah. are a non-commissioned officer and you are a leader of people. And I, I think that that's something that civilian companies are starting to recognize in a mass, right? I think there, there were pockets of companies back in the day that recognized that, you know, very, very well. Um, and I remember those companies being at college graduation saying, hey, I know you got a military service obligation. Here's my card. Call me in five years. Right? They knew that they could start planting that seed early, um, that they were going to get a certain caliber of, of person and leader um, of, of that sort. And so kind of going back to it, man, that was, you know, my first platoon tested me on all things, not just the military things, but, you know, uh, you know, spousal counseling. I wasn't a spouse, you know, you know, a marital counselor. You know, I, I kind of, I'm not going to lie, I didn't do very well in psychology, you know, and, and so <laughs> don't, you know, don't quote me on, you know, ways to de-escalate a conflict, you know, because... With your wife or husband. Right, and, you know, when you're sitting in a living room, that was your job sometimes on a Friday night, uh, was, hey, soldier calls or the MPs call, Sir, I know you're in charge of this. That's your problem. Ready, set, go. Um, and and you're like, man, I'm not prepared for this, but I'm going to learn through that process uh, and learn about people through that process. And and that's really it. That was my, my biggest experience, and, and one of the most growing experiences was taking over that first platoon, having to deal with the whole gamut and the array of people problems um, and, and making sure that people were successful. I like it. I like it. So as we wrap up, we're, we are at time. If you had a 30-second soundbite, 30 seconds only, to give advice to a veteran at Eastman, what would you say? Uh, in 30 seconds. All right, here we go. So first off, you know, veterans are not alone. A lot of times you leave service, you leave the Department of Defense, 
and they hand you your, your 214 and they say, ready, set, thank you, bye. But you're not alone. So there's a whole host of veterans out there. There's a whole host, no matter what site you're at, um, no matter you know how far, twice removed you have been from the military. Uh, seek those out. Seek out your battle buddy. Look for those you know, contacts and that support and be there for somebody else. I like it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for giving us this amazing interview so we could have time <laughs> to get, get to know you yeah. as, as our global co-lead and look forward to working with you in the future. All right. Well, thank you, Jackie, and can't wait for more discussions. <laughs>